Father, in Jesus' name, we, we come and we pray. We say, Lord, uh, you have you've led us by the hand through this process. And in the midst of all the shaking, um, we've had provision, not only in the, in the house of God, but in the households of faith. And I want to pray that the oil and the flour would continue unabated, that people would have their needs met, that new sources of income would come to households, that jobs would be restored. Father, that physical health would be protected. Lord, that there would be uh, the blessing of protection as abundantly on our house as if we were the children of Israel on the night of the Passover. That you would protect us. You would keep us. You would manifest your love in and through us. Father, we give you thanks. What do we have that we did not receive? In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. I think it's also good for, uh, to have uh, families and children. I am going to continue the text that I was in, which uh, talks about Christian morality. Don't worry. I don't think I'm going to say words that are not in the Bible. If I do, you'll be all right because you'll probably uh, facilitate the discussion that you need to have because uh, those discussions should start like as quick as they're old enough to know their own bodies. Can we talk? They should. So um, I told everybody last night, I said, uh, my, my favorite thing in the, in the funeral service of Pat Archibek was when the story was told about how she got uh, caught by her questioning grandkids and ended up telling the grandkids, while she's babysitting, telling the grandkids about sex. I mean, I like just can't even figure that out. And then I, and then I blessed Gail that the same things would happen to her. <laughs> don't start, Alan, don't start. Walking in the light. Ephesians chapter 5, if you have a Bible, and if you don't, you know I'm going to provide it for you, and I'm going to go right there. By the way, I've decided that I need to finish Ephesians by, by October. What do you think? A year is probably about enough, or it won't quite have been a year, uh, but sexually, Im, Im, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetous must not even be named among you. Now, what that means is is that it's not that you shouldn't say those words like I just got through saying. That's not what that means. That means uh, when they're talking about believers, these things should not be named. So Paul is teaching Gentiles to live in their new humanity, and he's immediately picking up the, the fullness of sexual morality as it was taught in the, in the Jewish faith. And he's giving it to these new Gentile believers and he's teaching them how to live. Uh, the category, if you, if you wanna, the category of sexual immorality was encompassed with a word, pornaya. And yes, that's where that word comes from that you know. The Greek word pornaya was an encompassing category 
that dealt with all sorts of um, behaviors. I note again with you that he goes on to say, let there be no filthiness or foolishness of talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater. Again, I, just, I, I really wish you would just do your do research and you discover these twin, uh, these twin realities of idolatry, which is the worship of another God, and immorality, which is the giving of your body to a person to whom it does not belong. That this kind of fidelity, fidelity spiritually in the realm of your worship, fidelity physically in the realm of your bodies, that these two are the mirror images that that what is true in the spirit is true in the flesh, that we are called to oneness, wholeness, purity, fidelity. And this was a whole new thing. This was, this was revolutionary in antiquity. Now, I'm gonna to touch on that in a minute because what I want you to know is that there was, a, there was literally a sexual revolution in late antiquity you think that there was a sexual revolution in the 50s and 60s out of which we're living? And certainly there was, but it was an opposite revolution. The revolution of, of late antiquity was a revolution where the teachings of Paul had so taken root inside these converted pagan believers had so uh, gotten inside of them that it became the norm. Literally, Christian morality uh, overcame the, the immorality of the Roman Empire. This is one of those things that, that, that people fail to understand. What we, what we are doing right now is repaganizing ourselves. And, and even as our culture is throwing off the, um, the essences of our faith, it's also throwing off the morality. And there will be winners and losers, and there already are winners and losers. And I'm going to come back to that in just a minute, but I want to say a little more. And that he says, anyone who is sexually immoral, impure, covetous, that is to be an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, I said this last week, but it bears repeating because it's a unique way of expressing it. The kingdom of Christ and God, let me say it to you this way. It means the kingdom now and not yet. The kingdom now was the, was the kingdom of Christ who was sitting on the throne in heaven and ruling in the lives of those who are throwing off the rule of their culture and coming under the rule and reign of Christ. So listen, by definition... If you live that way, you're not inheriting the kingdom. You get it? By definition, if you continue to live like a pagan, you have not inherited the kingdom. And what happens to us is that we've, we have, uh, we've gone to our, our, plate, our, our Platonistic uh, philosophical worldview, and we read this as this. If you do those things, you won't go to heaven when you die. That is not what it says. 
It says you won't take possession of what is yours. He's told them they're heirs of the kingdom. What this is saying is you will not enjoy the possession of what God has for you. And instead, you'll be ravaged by the the kingdoms of this world. And if there's anything that's true, the untold story of the late 20th century and the early 21st century, the untold story is the ravages of the sexual revolution and how we still demonize Christian morality and lionize pagan morality. That's the world we're in. Um, I want to say a lot, but sometimes a little is a lot. Let me just let me just touch this on the kingdom. So, the kingdom of Christ is the kingdom now. The kingdom of God is the kingdom not yet. I think that's the reason he expresses it this way. And you find an expanded conversation about that in the last part of the 15th chapter of um, 1 Corinthians, which I may allude to here in a minute. Matthew 25, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit a kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. This is, the, this is the genesis of the phrase, inherit the kingdom. You don't find this phrase in the Bible until it's right here. It's on the lips of Jesus. And most people believe this refers to the, the eternal judgment. Now, and, and that this is saying that there, there is a judgment, there is an accountability, and that there is a kingdom to inherit in the, in the world to come. That's the way this is interpreted. I'm saying to you, though, that the way it's being said in the Pauline letters is here and now blessings that are being forfeited. All right. First uh, Corinthians chapter six. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. And here he goes. Neither sexually immoral or idolaters, there it is again, or adulterers are those who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit, there it is again, the kingdom of God. In other words, you're outside the blessing if you're living that way. You're living outside of your inheritance. You're living outside of the blessing. And he says, as such were some of you. Now, if Paul didn't think that people who were actually believers could act in those ways, he wouldn't be telling them not to. He has to instruct them. So there had to be moral instruction. We've come to the time again when we have to give strong moral instruction. And why? Like most people don't know. What Christianity did was made the body sacred. What Christianity did was say once and for all and settle your body is sacred. It, It actually is a temple. It's the very temple of God. And for that reason, even as we only have one God, we also only have one lover the one to whom we're married, the one to whom, our, so our body belongs to God and our body belongs to the one we marry. And that's Christian, Christian morality. And listen, I know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm so glad I'm old and I, I won't have to argue these things for another 50 years because I, I know these arguments have been mostly settled in the, in the, in the pagan morality, not in the Christian morality. In culture, these arguments have been settled. 
One of the things you know is whatever story, whatever stories the culture tells, those stories define how the culture sees itself. And it's been a very long time since you've seen any, uh, any kind of serious emphasis on serious believers who take these things uh, deeply to heart. Uh, we've, we've gone from being conflicted about committing sexual immorality to being expected to do it. We've gone from being conflicted about adultery to have being told stories by our storytellers that seduce us into cheering for the adultery to happen. If you, if you haven't noticed yourself watching TV or watching a movie and the way they're telling the story is that the fidelity of the marriage is the evil thing and that the infidelity is the virtue. And so listen, what I'm telling you is that when Paul gave these words, these were like little tiny seeds in an, in an ocean. It was like, it's like the little pill you put in a, in a water that's impure and, that, and the power in that pill purifies the, a gallon of water. It took time, but it happened. Where, I, I, I've said this, I keep saying this, where we go wrong as Christians is to try to enforce our moral code on a culture who doesn't have a new heart. Without new creation heart, you can't do new creation living. Without new creation power, you can't live out a new creation ethos. And even with new creation power, maybe some of you have found it to be hard. Just maybe. And I don't preach messages like this to fill the room with shame because we are the place of most forgiveness on planet earth. We are the place where you get washed, you get cleansed, you get purified, you get renewed. All right. You also should know that there's something happening in your nation. And I talk about it a lot and you wonder why I do, but I, but I do. I think we live in a nation that is really incredible and in that it has some ideals that are, that are uh, in the history of governments on planet earth. The Bill of Rights is one of the most, it's the, it's, I don't want to say, it's a unique document. I almost did a redundancy. I don't like to do that. It's, it's a unique document. Freedom of speech that... When we go freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of press, and freedom of assembly. These things are under a fire, but not in the ways most people think. The challenge that we have in our culture, and yes, this is a political moment, and you'll be all right. The challenge that we have in our culture is the equality doctrines being forced on the Bill of Rights. In other words, does my right to read my Bible, which has offensive sexual language to the culture, is that protected religion, is it protected speech? What's happening in our country is that we're coming to the time when it won't be because equality doctrines are being used as the test to reconfigure the Bill of Rights. This is happening in the courts. It, it actually just recently happened in the courts um, with, a, with a ruling that applied the Civil Rights Act of 1965 to the LGBT community. That was a huge thing. Now, I'm telling you these things because I'm just telling you what you're going to go through. Because guess what? 
that doesn't have a thing to do with who I am as a person of Jesus who's gonna say what, I, who's, who's gonna say what is in the content of my faith. But there are places now, if you, if you tried in a public space in some places to read that, you would be brought up on human rights violations for speaking words that are offensive to people who live in these ways. And this is real stuff, guys. I'm not even messing around a little bit. This is happening in the world. And, and uh, I'm, I'm telling it to you because, listen, we haven't been persecuted yet. We're being annoyed. We're being uh, maybe harassed a little bit and certainly flustered a little bit. But, but genuine persecution uh, is on the way. You see, because in the Declaration of Independence, it declares that all people are created equal. As a value statement, that's 100% right. But as a doctrine to apply to every organization on, uh, in America, it's a hideous doctrine. And it will, and listen, there are laws that are being formulated that will affect uh, neighborhood codes. There are laws that are, that are being considered that will affect every kind of hiring practices so that you will not only have to uh, be um, available for, for hiring people whose morality you eschew, but you'll be required to do it. These things are everywhere. And because equality sounds so right to us, we're being seduced. Anyway, that's your pastor being an egghead and, and, telling, you, and telling you that you have to pay attention. Telling you that you have to pay attention. All right. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, I want you to know something. Our bigger problem inside the family of God is that, is that professional surveys tell us that the morality of the church is no different than the morality of the world. That's the problem. There was actually a Roman historian who wrote the strange things of these, of these Christians is that they refuse to commit sexual immorality. They refuse to do it. I'm like, really? When's the last time a historian said that about a group of Christians? Did they have a greater accession of the Holy Spirit in their lives than we do? They certainly had a less weakened culture. But I want you to know that the cult of Christ became the culture of the world in the first three centuries or the first six centuries. And this is a very astonishing thing. Uh, I've been, you guys know I'm always reading stuff. And uh, what I love it, what I really, really love is when I come across uh, secular authors who undergird uh, the things that I find in the Christian gospel. And so when I came across a book um, written by a guy named Kyle Harper, and uh, he's a professor in Oklahoma. It's called From Shame to Sin, The Christian Transformation of Sexual Immorality in Late Antiquity. This guy's not a Christian, but he, and he doesn't make value judgments. He just writes history. And he just says what happened. 
And what he says that happened is, um, how revolutionary Christianity's impact was on Western sexuality. And he writes about it. And he says, Romans did not wrestle, Roman citizens did not wrestle with the morality of sex outside of marriage or sexual activity between persons of the same sex. When he, when he says they didn't wrestle with it, he means they were okay with it. Rather, they wrestled with what was honorable for a freeborn man or a freeborn woman. So if you're freeborn, they had some codes. It was acceptable for a freeborn man to have relations with slaves, prostitutes, and boys under certain conditions, as long as it was in moderation. But a freeborn man must act as a man. It was shameful for him to play the passive role in the sexual relationship. On women... Uh, the restrictions were much tighter. A, a, mod, a woman's modesty uh, as, as a citizen, a freeborn Roman citizen female, her sexual honor was a, was a fragile thing. Uh, the sexual life course of free women was dominated by the imperatives of marriage, not unlike Christianity. Another assessment of the same thing. Um, Harper explains that from Paul onward, Christian sexual morality collapsed all forms of same-sex contact, whether uh, with children or a companion, into one category and eliminated them. Um, there's a lot more I could read to you. Uh, under the new morality, he said, who were the winners and the losers? There, if there were Winners and losers in the Christian transformation of sexual morality. You would say that gay men and promiscuous young Roman males were losers, while women, slaves, prostitutes, and young boys were the big winners. Got it? Now, why am I going at this? Because, listen, we don't go at it very much anymore. And I, you know me, I go at stuff when it's in the scripture. I go through the scripture because when you, uh, one of the, another thing about the discipline of going through scripture, you're going to come against these things as in come to them and then you got to like deal with them. And so all the way through, everywhere Paul went, Paul went all over uh, the, the ancient world, uh, especially Asia Minor to the churches in Greece. And in every church, he called Greeks out of their pagan sexual lifestyles and into the Christian reality of new creation, new identity, living in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is where he's gonna end up here before we're done. And I need to hurry on. So 1 Corinthians 6 deals with that. By the way, 1 Corinthians 6 is also where the Christian teaching on the body as the temple, it, you, you find that in the same text. And I talked about inheriting the kingdom of Galatians. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. And then he expands from there, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean? Let's go a little further. Ephesians 6, or Ephesians uh, 5, back to Ephesians. So after he gives the, he gives the um, 
expanded teaching on morality, he then says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Is that not? <laughs> That's the same as saying, hey, listen, the devil's going to come along and say, has God said? Or as they say to every uh, youth pastor, is it all right if I? Do you think it'd be wrong if I? And, and almost always, the, they're like start to, start to twist with the, the words. They start to turn words in a way that they're not. Words are very powerful and you need to cherish them. Let no one deceive you with empty words because of these things. Now get ready. The wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Now, for everybody who's ever said you're not being punished, let, let me just say, today your pastor's gonna say, yeah, sometimes you're being punished. I'm sorry, I know we live in a world where nobody gets punished for anything. I know we do. But you know as well as I do that if there's anything empirically true about human life, it's that baked into the system of how human life works is that what you sow, you reap. Or as they say in the world, uh, karma will visit you. I, I, I have to, everybody. I'm a bad man sometimes. I saw a wonderful gif of two guys that had bricks and they were going to throw them through the window. And, and one guy throws his brick and he looks at it for just a second and then he turns to run and his friend throws his brick right into his head. You know, they were, they were, they were throwing bricks into the window. I was like, instant karma. I was like, that's the fastest harvest I've seen in a long, long time. And I played it over and over and laughed and laughed. I hope that guy's not dead. Because I'd be that evil guy. <laughs> Listen, uh, because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. What is the wrath of God? The wrath of God is the settled judgment of God against behaviors in the world. And he has arranged the world so it won't work for you. How we doing? Listen, I want you to know this is better than saying you're going to hell for it. This is saying he's going to move in your life to correct you and sort you out and get you back on the right track. Can you deal with that? Now, when somebody comes to me and says, am I being punished? I almost always knuckle under and say, no, 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 no. But then I usually follow it with something like, you're just being stupid. Uh, listen, every one of us, I, I, I would dare say, if you're, if you're my age or younger, some of you older people, I'll just let you off the hook because I don't know. But we lived in such a highly sexualized culture that you would be an outlier if you have not been damaged in the sexual revolution. You would be an outlier. By disease, by violence, by shame, by a broken heart, by, uh, by broken relationships, by uh, seeing people that you love crash and burn right before your eyes, um, by seeing your children suffer. I can go on and on. The, the, we, don't, 
We don't seem to get stories that are moral stories that tell us, hey, this is a really bad idea. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For one time you were in darkness, but now you're the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Interesting. We get this discussion. And after this discussion, after this exhortation, after these strong words, and then he follows strong words with a gentle appeal. Then he says, now try to discern. Hand, sometimes when somebody asks you a moral question, hand them a passage of scripture like this. Take them to the bottom of it. Say, the Bible says you need to decide. Read this and try to discern. And then know this, you are capable. You are so capable. You can overcome this. If Joseph could escape Potiphar's wife at great cost to himself. You who have the gift of the Holy Spirit can escape and overcome these things. Um, I think it's very good that the cultural vestiges of our faith are being jettisoned. Um, it's kind of like my old friend Frank Zamora used to say. He says, some people say, uh, don't rock the boat, but I say, turn it over and see who will float. The culture is going to manifest us. You say, you, you, you think the culture is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God? It means we show. Right here, right now. It's not some future generation that's being waited for. It's the manifestation of Christ in you, the hope of glory, so the world can see and desire him. Okay, that's just repeating. Let's go on because I'm... Running out of time. Without, I'm not running, but I'm running out of time. Listen, can, is there any way that we can like turn the air conditioner down to like zero? I, I want to go to Costco and preach in that freezer. <laughs> it's just me. I'm just kidding. I'm just hot. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Can't get this stuff just anywhere. Most preachers are formal and dignified and it's too late. I'm going to die this way. It's shameful to even speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible by light. Uh, therefore, it says, wake up, old sleeper. And arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. That's not a verse of scripture. Almost every commentator agrees. It's a verse from a song. It's an ancient song. And in a minute, he's going to give you a recipe about psalming yourselves. I talk about this a lot, but I love the fact that this passage is going to end there. And I'm going to show it to you. So I have to move on. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but wise making the best use of the time 
because the days are evil. Have you had some good stuff come into your life out of these days of quarantine and days of sheltering in? I hope you have. I think some of you have redeemed the time and found new breakthroughs, new habits of life, new ways of being. You've emptied out. Listen, the idols of our times have fallen down before us and we've had time to fill. What did we fill it with? And I couldn't help but think of my old um, friend, Martin Luther. I grew up a Lutheran. And for those of you who are young, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther, the one he was named for, the Protestant reformer who was put on trial for his theology, making the use of the time because the days are evil. He was condemned for his theology and he was uh, sentenced to be taken to Rome where he would be punished for his heresies, but he escaped and he, and he went and was hidden out by Frederick the Wise in the Wartburg Castle. And then, like a miracle took place. Here's the miracle. In 11 short weeks, shorter than the time we've been sheltered in, he took Erasmus's Greek copy of the New Testament and translated the entire New Testament into the German language of the common people in 11 weeks. That's what you call redeeming the time. <laughs> and that German translation of the Bible is a standard to this day for German-speaking people. Martin Luther, why not your life? Why not your life be for something so great that you couldn't have conceived it and it took affliction for it to happen? It took tribulation for it to manifest. It took difficulty for it to come through. Let's finish. And do not get drunk with wine. Do I need to add? For most people, I need to go beer, spirits, marijuana. <laughs> you know, it didn't say anything about marijuana. <laughs> don't, get drunk with, don't get drunk with wine wherein is debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. So listen. Here's what Paul did, and here's how he's finishing. He told them all these things to get empty out of their life. Now he's telling them how to fill their life. So how do you fill an empty life? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know, most of you know, because you've heard every preacher say it. This passage doesn't literally say be filled with the Spirit. It says be being filled with the Spirit. In other words, Holy Spirit is a renewable resource. Holy Spirit is again and again and again. Holy Spirit is refreshing every day. Revival is coming. It's an outpouring of Holy Spirit, and it'll make, make you awake again. You want to pray for your nation? Our nation sits at a place that was uh, probably almost exactly where the French Revolution was born. The same kind of philosophies, the same kind of ideas. And two nations, England and France, one of them had the bloodiest revolution that you can ever imagine, and it was awful. It's taking them 100 to 200 years for them to work their way out of it. But England had a revival of unparalleled capacity as the, as the Wesleys went across the nation of England preaching the gospel and people were getting filled with Holy Spirit. And there was, they had to take extreme measures whenever Wesley would go to preach because sometimes the crowds would be so big, people would climb up in the trees because they wanted to hear Wesley preached. And, and they had to send people ahead of them to shoot people out of the trees because they get filled with the Holy Spirit and fall out. 
Come on, church. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Boy, if you want to have one cry as you lay down at night, fill me, God. Fill me. Your dreams are coming as you've emptied yourself of the day's activity. Fill me, God, so that he would come to you in the night watches and touch you and heal your grief and heal your sorrow and heal your uh, broken passions where you have allowed your life to be bent in the wrong direction. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Anthony came home from his recovery. And uh, every time I would check on him how he's doing, I can tell you how he's doing by what he's listening to. Sorry, son, I'm using you. But this guy... To the degree that he's filling his mind with the songs of Jesus, the Christian music that fills our airwaves like nowhere else in the world. He's thriving to the degree that his mind is being filled, even if passively, with those sounds, those songs. Because listen, when you empty something out, you got to fill it up. When you empty out the drunkenness, you fill yourself with the spirit. And when you empty out the lies that made you drunk, you've got to fill your mind with the truths that keep you sober and keep you alive and keep you going. Giving thanks. Always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And submitting to one another in reverence for Christ. And it's fitting that we would finish today with getting filled. I want you to be filled. If you don't have the elements of the supper, if you don't have them, listen, your children are free to take in this house. If you don't have the elements of the supper, raise your hands and, and, and Steve will bring them to you. So if you don't know how to use it, there's a, there's a top layer and you pull that top layer back and, and you'll find the wafer, you'll find the bread. And then the second layer, and I'll give you an opportunity to do it. How strange it is that we do this and yet how wonderful. One of the other wonders and beauties that has happened to us out of this time is that we have put the thanksgiving front and center. We have put the Eucharist. We have put the communion. We have put the table of the Lord. It's front and center in our, in our fellowship. So, so Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread and when he broke it, he gave it to them and he said, this is my body. Now listen, as I as a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, declare to you, this is the body of Christ. This is Jesus giving himself to us. And our sins were laid upon him. The body of Christ is given to you, church. Receive.
Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Since the time of Jesus, Christians gather around the cup. We gather and we say, this is the blood of Christ. This is the new covenant in the blood of Christ, which is shed for us. And so I give you thanks, Lord. I give you thanks. My sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven. I give you thanks today. Now come, Holy Spirit. The blood of Christ is shed for us. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody to the Lord. The one who's led us in that is going to come and speak to us. Charlie, come. is here, isn't he? Just stay, just stay in that spot with him. In the 100% likely event that I start crying, um, I just want to remind you that Jesus and I are criers. I was 12 years old when I first heard the Lord talking to me. He told me my life would be devoted to gospel ministry. And for the last 14 years, I fulfilled that call as a pastor here at New Life City. And it has been a blessed and glorious time, marked by the moves and miracles of God. For close to a year now, the Lord has been nudging me, stirring me, and calling me into a new season of ministry. The start of that season necessitates an end to serving on staff at New Life City. The plan is still in development, but it involves planting a church in an economically disadvantaged part of town. I plan on being bivocational as long as I need to, to get the ministry launched. And eventually, I also plan to start an after-school program to teach music, writing, art, drama, and other creative pursuits to mid-school and high school children who lack financial or educational resources for arts instruction. This program will be kingdom-minded with the ultimate aim of showing students the love of God and their worth in the eyes of Jesus. I very well may reach out to some of you to have you as guest instructors. Major life change is always difficult, and in the COVID era, and a time of increased social, political, and economic uncertainty, Regard, uh, choosing to make major life changes can be viewed as audacious and even absurd. Regardless, my family and I proceed with peace and assurance from the Lord that this is what he's asking of us. I cannot adequately express the tremendous blessing New Life City has been to me and my family. This is the only church 
our daughters have known. This body has loved us, prayed for us, encouraged us and supported us and treated us like family from the beginning. Our family bond will continue and everything we do will have the fragrance of New Life City all over it. Pastor Allen and Mama Gail, thank you for loving us well, for publicly and privately speaking into our lives, for modeling a godly and faithful marriage and for giving me a literal front row seat on how to cultivate a spirit-led church that functions as a family. We've walked through valleys and we've stood on mountaintops together. And I've learned as much from the trials as from the victories. Pastor Allen and Mama Gail, the Lord is with you and he's with this house. I'm gonna say that again. The Lord is with you and the Lord is with this house. I will continue to pray for his divine favor, blessing and prosperity on New Life City. Someday very soon we'll have an album to release that celebrates and commemorates a precious season here. And we plan to have a release concert right here when that time comes. And you'll still see us from time to time. Back in my college days, while I was on staff at Highland Baptist Church, I would sneak over to Del Norte Baptist on Saturday nights. I'd sit in the back and I would listen to Pastor Allen preach. I suspect I'll still do that from time to time. 25 years later and I still haven't tired of hearing him preach the word. And wow, he brought the word this morning. I'll close with this. In the early 2000s, Becky and I co-pastored a home church for a five-year period of time. Even though that time came to a peaceful conclusion, I still felt sadness at the closing of that chapter. My dear friend, Rocky Green, who grew up surfing the waves in Florida, said these words to me. The Lord sent you a beautiful wave and you rode it all the way into shore. It's time to paddle out and catch the next wave. So thank you, New Life City, for the ride. You've been a beautiful wave. God bless you. So, just to fill in a couple of the blanks. Charlie remains on our staff and will be um, active in his role until September the 1st. Although I've been very clear with him, and I want Becky to hear this. He can take some time off. And, uh, and then he remains on full salary um, until January the 1st. Um, this is not dissimilar to uh, the blessing that was given to me uh, 20 years ago that we're, that we're walking out. The ironies are not lost on me that when Charlie asked, can I start a church in the city? And by the way, in most church situations, 
they don't ask. And when he came and asked me that, I was, there's no way you can not say yes when you've been the recipient of the same grace, right? And so, listen, when someone says the Lord bless you or the Lord is with you, do you know what the proper response is? In liturgical say, churches, it's like, and also with you. So Charlie and Becky, and also with you. Again, the Lord is with you. And also with you. That's it. That's it. Uh, also, the um, relational, ceremonial kinds of uh, nice things that other people are better at figuring out than me have not been figured out yet. In other words, there will be, <laughs> there will be proper uh, releasing and blessing uh, experiences as well as fellowship and gifts, all right? So we, we don't have answers to all of that, but um, we want to we bless them big, amen? When, uh, this thing, when this thing began, if you think that I would have thought that we'd be where we are today, when the, when the COVID crisis began. But we did very quickly say, we very, very quickly said, a shaking is happening and it's gonna change us. So New Life City, it's changing us. But what cannot be shaken is uh, the love of Christ in us the kingdom of God through us, and the plans of God in his world. So we remain unshaken in the midst of the shaking. And uh, the graciousness with which Charlie has just spoken to you is uh, a gift that will sustain him and them in the days to come. Let's stand together. And now you know why we didn't do ministry at the end of the service. So, Father, I, I pray and ask your blessing on Charlie and Becky and the girls and the work of their hands and the intentions of their hearts. And I also ask that you lead us in the rebuilding of staff, in the reordering of the ways our life will be experienced together, and uh, in the re-envisioning of a new future. And we are confident because you've never left us. And now may the Lord bless you. And may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you. And may you go out of here with shalom. In the name of Yeshua, even Jesus. Amen. Amen, church. God bless you.